0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Mega Pickles. I'm your host, Chris, along with my other half, I don't feel whole, without you, Mr. Bruce Dorn.
1: Ow, 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 ow. Chris, you're you're standing on my stem, dude.
0: <laughs> We've been cooped up in this vinegar for way too long, Bruce. I'm getting I'm getting I'm bitter. Bitter. <laughs> I'd hoped we
1: would end up sweet, but nope. No, I would, lot.
0: I would like to think that you're getting a little bit more dilly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. At
1: least we're still whole.
0: We are. We sure are. Hey, you guys. Welcome to the Mega Pickles. I'm your host, Chris, along with my dear friend, Canon Explorer of Light, Bruce Dorn. Uh, we are here to entertain you again for another half hour. Today we're going to be talking about how I got the shot. And Bruce, I picked one of your images randomly off your Instagram account, and one really stuck out. Um, there is there is a female standing in the near foreground. She's beautifully lit. Her face is turning off to camera left. I mean, just. Gorgeous, gorgeous light on her face. And then dropped into the background is what, uh, and I'm not an expert on planes, but this looks to be a a, a Mustang-like, almost a World War II era kind of plane. Is that correct?
1: Yep. That is a three-quarter scale P-51 Mustang. And it's run with a, a supercharged Donovan V8 instead of the traditional Merlin or rolls-royce what v12 v16 i can't recall but um yeah i i had an assignment to uh help launch the canon 5d mark 4 okay yeah uncle canon sent me loose with uh the instructions to talk about certain features of the cameras and uh i had a a series that I could do. So I did a series of videos called "Brucey Interrupted. And it's as dumb as the title sounds, the videos are equally dumb. Uh, basically, the premise was, I'm busy doing something very important, not nonsensical, I promise. And uh, when my phone rings, and it's uh, another photographer who's calling for some advice. And in this instance, the video opened up with me out in the middle of nowhere, strolling along a, a dusty trail in a three-piece suit, believe that or not, uh, when I'm uh, suddenly beset upon by a fighter plane shooting at me, for crying out loud. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the fellow that uh, owns this airplane is a photographer. He's a, a very smart guy, former uh, military and commercial pilot, I'm pretty sure, who. Uh, worked, I think, for FedEx for a number of years. Anyway, he and his buddy built a couple of these P-51 uh, model planes, not model planes, but, uh, you know, sport planes. And uh, I, as soon as I see something interesting, it immediately triggers concepts. That's kind of how it works for me. Most of my stuff is concept-driven. And I thought, how fun. Let's do a, a, a series on warbirds. And so... I came up with the, pro, the 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 concept of a a female fighter pilot maybe she's a pilot that uh you know was moving the airplanes from the back to the front uh to where the combat was going down or maybe she's a fighter pilot herself in this little fantasy anyway uh I had just before this project came up I had uh, uh met a young lady who's uh guardian is a local fire chief and She needed a summer job as an intern. She was studying up at NAU, wanted a summer gig, so I put her to work as an assistant. Pretty darn cute gal, so I always uh, find a way to stick the pretty ones in front of the camera. And uh, (laughs) this was one of those opportunities. Um, I knew I had the airplane. I wanted to make it be a, a World War II vintage look. So I immediately figured out what her sizes were and went shopping for wardrobe. As it turns out. Uh, the only place I could find a fighter pilot, pilot garb in her size was through a stripper a uh, supply house. Stop it! Nurses' outfits and and construction workers and you know and pilots, as it turns out. So uh, that aside, uh, well, it did make the wardrobe very inexpensive because I guess it's considered to be disposable, but. Uh, her, fl- her flight helmet was the most expensive piece. I found that through a vintage store, but we got the gal wardrobed up and, uh, then, uh, created a video, uh, a number of shots are on my Instagram. The one you picked is one that I think uncle Canon actually may have picked for their catalog as well. And it's, uh, it, it sort of reflects my basic approach, Chris. I always try to start with one inspirational item. And then I try to find a great location, a great background. I build on a foundation, and that foundation generally is uh, an interesting-looking background. My, If memory serves me right, this was February, and it was pretty miserable weather. Blustery, and I think we even had snow flurries uh, here and there. So right away, that's provided me with a really interesting and somber sky, something we don't routinely get here in Arizona. And I thought, okay, so this scene takes place in England during the Blitz. Let's imagine that our gal is a fighter pilot, and she's a part of the, you know, the siege on London, and she's up there with the Spitfire pilots fighting the the Jerrys as they come over to uh, uh, assault England. So in the process, I did a, a, a series of images of her, sort of prepping to go flying in the airplane. I did some bits of trickery here and there to make it look like the shots in the cockpit, uh, you know, look legitimately as if they could have been done at 10,000 feet of altitude. But, uh, for the particular shot that you picked out where she's in the foreground, kind of looking at the rising sun, waiting to uh, get the call to go out and fly a mission. Um, the clouds were there. The clouds were happening. It turns out it was afternoon, and I established an exposure for the airplane in the background. I established that I wanted to use a bit of telephoto on this one, so I could compress the elements. This is not a composite, not a composite sky, not a composite plane in the background. It's all really? in the camera. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yep.
1: Yeah. So I had to use a lot of depth of field on this. Uh, and uh-huh. uh, yeah. You Know the basic, there's a good rule of thumb the wider the angle, the more effective or the deeper the depth of field at any given focal length. So, uh, with a uh, F, F16 on a telephoto, like a 600 millimeter lens, is not a lot of depth of field, F16 on a 16 millimeter is a ton of depth of field. You bet. So, I had to really crank the f-stop on this to be able to hold the airplane. She was standing a good 20 feet out in front of the airplane. So I was probably, could easily have been on a 400 or something like that. I'd have to look back in the XF data to make sure I knew what was what on that. But um, I figured out uh, a good composition for the airplane and then uh, established an exposure for it that was sketchy. I'll just use a subjective term, sketchy. I wanted to be a little bit underexposed on the airplane, so that it would feel, uh, have that somber, bad weather kind of quality to it. And I noted the lighting direction. We are facing west, uh, or the subject is facing west, I'm facing east with the camera. And the sun had uh, dipped below some clouds, so the, the ambient illumination, the volunteer lighting, was rather low and moody, and it was fairly easy to replicate. What I wanted to do, though, with the girl was to have her as if she was in just a little patch of uh, early morning sunlight that was coming through the clouds. So I felt it was legit to light her a little bit brighter and a little sure. bit directional. This is what you would call a short lighting pattern. We're shooting from the shadow side of her face. Also got a little bit of a Rembrandt triangle on her near side cheekbone. But basically, speed lights. I was demoing uh, the use of speed lights to the pilot in the video, which is in the Brucey Interrupted series on Vimeo or on Canon's website. you look for the video that's named Aces High. Uh And you see the whole process of shooting a variety of different images. And it was illuminated primarily with uh, speed light uh, or full-blown studio strobes supplementing daylight. Why two kinds of stroboscopic light? Uh, The speed light is a really good uh, pulse illumination, but it doesn't have a ton of power. They're bright. They do amazing things but they can't match the recycling speed and the volume that you get with a proper studio strobe on location. You and I both use monolights, battery powered monolights out on location over the years that has gotten easier and easier. You, you know very well that I drive a truck with a 3000 watt (laughs) generator on the back of it. And I have multiple batteries and inverters and I can create electricity and power and, uh, illumination wherever i go but um so throughout the the uh photo series you'll see me working with i believe it was the Braun uh monolight at that time uh-huh. and it does have the capacity to do a high speed sync a topic which is uh you could do a, a master's program on high speed sync on its own but basically when you're using mixing strobe and daylight, you generally try to get an exposure that is gives you a shutter speed that is within the synchronization range of your camera. We use cameras with uh, focal plane shutters. It's basically a curtain that opens and reveals the sensor and then another curtain that closes and hides the sensor. At speeds above the camera's sync speed, shutter speeds above the camera's sync speed, you will actually see one of the curtains traveling. So yep. your camera will yep. have something like 120, 125th, 1 200th, 1 250th for sync speed. And as we both know, if you shoot at a thousandth of a second, five thousandth of a second with flash that is not in a high-speed sync mode, you're going to just get black a black band You'll get a little slice of illumination as the shutter slit travels uh, across the sensor. Complicated sounding stuff, but basically your camera likes strobe at sh- a certain shutter speed and below, and does not like working with it above those sync speeds.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: So we uh, we have uh, the pulse of the flash determines the intensity of the light. Uh, a flash turns. On and off. There's almost no uh, sort of slope to it. It's fully on and fully off. And that brief pulse of illumination is the flash exposure. It has nothing to do with the shutter speed. It's a secondary um, quantity of light that is provided within the ambient light exposure. So, first thing I do, I'd shoot the airplane, establish a exposure that I liked, a little underexposed, a little moody, maybe play with the color balance on the Kelvin a little bit to get that look. And that would uh, be establish my uh, shutter speed and f-stop. And I would almost always keep the shutter speed below the sync speed. I don't particularly like high-speed sync because it takes the flash's power. And instead of divvying out on one big pop, it actually turns your flash tube into a Fluorescent light source momentarily a pulse a series of um, pulses that are so rapid that we perceive them as continuous light about sixty cycles uh, mm-hmm, sixty hertz mm-hmm. so but they, each one of those little flashes is divvying up the the big pie of the overall uh, dose of power that you have available in the capacitors on the flash so. Undoubtedly, I was at a shutter speed below the sync speed. The the specs will be on the video that you can watch. And uh, having established that, then I bring the girl in there, find a good position for her uh, for the composition, and then I place a flash uh, where I want the light to be coming from, in this case, mimicking the daylight that could be slipping through the clouds. I probably did a little warming gel on her as well. Uh, Daylight would have been my baseline color, probably. If I wanted to make the uh, airplane look a little bit cooler, then I could drop my Kelvin temperature and it would make the background look colder. Um, Basic daylight exposure or basic daylight color is about 5,600 degrees Kelvin. And uh, so if I took a color correction gel and put it on my strobe, which is also the color of noon daylight, I can make it a little bit warmer. So I probably used a half or quarter CTO color temperature orange to make it feel a little bit like a warm uh, rising sun. Kelvin temperature setting on the camera could have easily gone to something like 4200, which would have made the airplane look a little bit colder in its daylight uh, color balance. And maybe I put a full CTO on her to make her look just a little warmer than that baseline 4200 Kelvin. But positioning the flash so that the flash modifier was out of the frame. I undoubtedly used a soft box on this. And... General rule of thumb is a soft a soft box or an umbrella is at its most effective uh, at wrapping on the subject when the distance from the subject is about the same as the diagonal measurement of the soft box. So I would normally like to have a, a really big soft box out of frame here, probably use something considerably smaller so it felt a little more spotty like the sun. but still very directional like the sun. A couple of test pops to establish the power of the flash. Too bright? Well, turn the flash down. Too dim? Turn the flash up. And then it's a matter of just banging them away. They should jump out of the camera looking very much like you want them to look. It should not have to be a Photoshop adventure.
0: Now, on this, Bruce, I... You know, for our audience, I I have pulled up the video um, on on Aces High here. So if you go to YouTube, just type in Bruce Dorn Aces High, and you'll immediately come up with the Brucey Interrupted series uh, that we're talking about. We'll also post a link in the show notes here when uh, as this episode is published. A couple things that that I'm picking out, Bruce, are. Uh, number one, you you have uh, separate power running to a beauty dish out there mm-hmm. um, that you're lighting her up with, and mm-hmm. and it looks like the lenses that you're using could be a twenty four to one hundred five, and definitely a seventy to two hundred. That mm-hmm. are out there. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about, I, I know you've gone in great detail about the lighting, but do you want to talk about the beauty dish that you're using? Because it looks like uh, uh, an oversized salad bowl. Yeah. So yeah. talk talk about, uh, for our audience, talk about the beauty dish and its properties. And uh, I should point out that it's also unmodified. In other words, there's no diffuser. Yeah. Um, uh, o- over the dish itself,
1: yeah. So the, there's there's a, a a beauty dish that that has a lot of traction in the fashion industry called the Mola uh, brand dish, and they have a really interesting, a, a, yeah, a, a big salad bowl or a wok kind of thing. The Mola <laughs> has a lot of uh, internal contouring to it. It's 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 not just a a, a parabolic dish. Beauty dishes tend to be shallower. They often have a uh, some kind of a white disc or a white piece of material right where the flash tube comes into the back of the beauty dish. In a way, it's kind of like an uh, uh, umbrella kind of source, but the positioning of the, uh, the uh, flash tube is at the
0: uh,
1: paragon, would that be the right word, or the, uh, not quite sure of the right word for the... Uh, parabolic curve. It's at that center point of the curve. And uh, the light bounces around in there and comes at your subject from a lot of different directions. This is the this the source of the so-called wrap of light. A, a, a big soft box with a piece of di- diffusion material on the front is basically like a uh, window with a translucent uh, window shade on it. You're getting a large soft source that um, tends to flood the area. When you're using the dish, it tends to bounce around and some of the light comes from the very rim of the light in at a very acute angle toward the subject. So it tends to sort of wrap the subject up. It's a very interesting and subtle uh, uh, light modifier. I have manufactured a few of them (laughs) using different found objects. When you were joking about the salad bowl, not yep. a bad idea if you could be get a big enough one.
0: I actually, I actually made one out of a salad bowl. Yeah.
1: yeah, and you can you can put a diffusion sock over the front of it, but that kind of uh-huh. just turns it into a round uh, softbox. Uh, gridding works nicely with them to keep the light from scattering everywhere. Uh, it's a very instrument interesting instrument that you can work with for years. Uh, I use them uh, mod- with speed lights. I used to manufacture a lot of lighting accessories and uh, cinema accessories through a company called IDC, where I designed all the products. And I actually made beauty dishes out of uh, moon hubcaps. Back in the 1950s, there were the big silver Perfect. discs like yeah. they used on the land speed record cars. And I actually went to Moon Manufacturing and got them to spin me up some uh, aluminum dishes. And then built my own soft boxes out of those. Um, I've m- made them so that they will accept two speed lights. A second speed light gives you another a full stop over a single speed light. to double it again you have to go to four speed lights to double to get another stop you have to go to eight speed lights. so it gets pr- quickly impractical but a single uh, a, a beauty dish with two uh, speed lights in it you'd actually have two people working off of the same beauty dish. In other words, if we were shooting an event and you wanted to have light that matched mine, we could assign one of the speed lights to your camera, another one to mine. We can shoot without stepping on each other's toes, uh-huh. We'd be uh-huh. out of sync on our flashing by milliseconds, and your picture would look perfect and mine would look perfect. It's actually a great way to work as uh, when doing wedding photography when you have two shooters. To, to sort of gang two lights up in the one outfit, and then everybody's lighting looks the same. And uh, But traditionally, with the big MOLA, if you saw the uh, big MOLA dish in there, very likely it's got the Braun uh, monolight in it, and that's pumping out ooh, closer to, I'm going to say, 1,600 watt-seconds. Speed light's probably a couple hundred watt seconds at best, maybe 150 watt seconds. So you can get a ton more f-stop with the bigger strobe, and you can afford to give away a certain amount of light efficiency to the light modifier. Any lighting modifier is going to reduce the output of your light somewhat. Yeah, correct. it's better to have too much and not need it. You can always turn a bigger light down. It's hard to turn a smaller light into a brighter light. It's impossible. So uh, you can do a ton with speed lights and that's something I have a lot of fun with because speed lights are really easy to carry. They're relatively uh, affordable. They're not free for sure. The latest generation of Canon speed lights are radio synchronized and that's fantastic. You can adjust the light from within the camera menus very easily. So
0: as I recall, you did you did another uh video specifically on on the did was it the 600s? The Canon 600 uh speedlights that you did I think a a theater shoot now we're kind of jumping off of, yeah, of yeah, what we're yeah. talking that, about here but
1: that was probably the 500EX Okay. 2RTs uh before they got to the 600. Uh, I'd have to look back, but yeah, I did another series which was all speedlights and I did uh, a ballet thing where I went to found the yep. local ballet yep. troupe working. Uh, I just found every possible way that you could use a speed light and make it uh, an important part of your kit. And and I may have mentioned this in another one of our series or not. When when I first began shooting camera and a lens, you know, as everybody, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fifty millimeter lens. And before I bought my second lens, I bought a speed light. I bought a Honeywell Strobenar, and that uh, allowed me to start learn, learning uh, lighting and learning to light with an invisible source. Speedlights lights traditionally don't have modeling lights, so you don't see what they do until you pop them. So test frames are in order. But yeah, I, 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 my journey on lighting began on sort of on day one. I Before I bought that 135 millimeter lens or that 28 millimeter lens, first thing I bought was a light. And boy, that gave me a lot of opportunities to work in conditions nobody else could work in. So it's always run parallel for me. I accrue lenses and I accrue <laughs> lighting camera bodies come and go.
0: Yes, they but, sure do, uh,
1: boy. Lenses well, are a lifetime investment, and so is lighting.
0: For you know, for this particular image, Bruce, I, it just has all of those elements that stand out for me. It's so extremely impactful in in the lighting itself. The lighting is just so brilliantly placed on on the subject here with. Uh, With the plane in the background uh, obviously being a part of the overall image, but we recognize that she is the main subject here. And uh, as I look at the light that is on her face, it just becomes, um, it just takes it over the top for me with with the way that you've lit this, one other thing that I'd like to ask you about this image is kind of in the behind-the-scenes video that you have here, the light placement is very high and tilt, and the head is, or the beauty dish is tilted down just at a at a very shallow angle, um, so it looks like you know it's probably the bottom of the light is maybe a foot above her head and then it's tilted down at a slight angle, um, on, on her. Can you talk about that for a minute?
1: Yeah. A light placement, you know, it's a quantity, quality direction. That's what we always talk about. The quantity, do you have enough? The quality of the light is the character of the light is, uh, appropriate to the story we're trying to sell or tell. Uh, Is is it hard and directional and undiffused? Is it uh, Does it have a muted quality? Uh, The look of the light was dictated by the fact that there's a lot of clouds going on, and that's just kind of the feeling of the day. And then the placement, it's a game of inches. Uh, You you know, well, people have a tendency to aim their light source directly at the person. A lot of times, you do what we call wasting the light. I, I knew that I wanted the light to, to feel like it was motivated from a little bit higher than at the horizon, so that I would get some a distinct shadow under her chin and a little one under her nose, but get under her, the light would get under her brows and light up her eyes. So um, there, there's what I like to call a cone of illumination. Imagine uh, the light going out there, it's, It's probably gonna be the brightest in the center and it's gonna fall off and it's gonna fall off in a gradual or abrupt manner depending on the kind of light modifiers you have on there. So in this case, uh, if I'm looking at it as well and I'm looking at the shadows and you can see, yeah, that the light was pretty steep. You can always, as Chris has done, analyze how a light is placed based upon reverse engineering from the way the shadows are cast. If you're close enough to look at the eye, the actual hemisphere of the eye, you can see precisely what's going on because that's a perfect uh, round reflector and it'll show you where the key is. If there's a reflective panel or a truck nearby that's reflecting light into the eyes or a person sitting at a table and lights reflecting off the table, you'll see all that in the eyes. But... Yeah, I I was probably just wasting a little bit of the light and just catching her with the edge of the cone of illumination. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, I I have come to understand my formal training in photography was more conceptual rather than uh, following sort of the camera club or camera society rules of thumb, three lights, you know, rule of thirds, all that stuff. I tend to try to work as long as I can with a single source. The world is illuminated by a single source, the sun, and it bounces around and reflects around and does all kinds of amazing things. We just position our subjects in relationship to the sun in a manner that looks attractive, and that qualifies as correct on that day. So I would imagine that I was just playing with it and demonstrating to the pilot how I work with lights, When we were doing stuff in the cockpit, I'm sure the light was lower and closer and sometimes behind the subject. I like to work with a short lighting pattern and sometimes to the extreme, which means that the light source is not necessarily on the same side of the subject as the camera. I like the light to be a little bit behind the subject, and uh, so it gives some edge lighting. I can always bounce a little bit of it back in. But this is the fun of working with light is you can change the character instantly and, and radically with very small moves. I've noticed that when I work with assistants and I'll go, Hey, just tweak that light, pan that light, just a little bit to the left and boom, they move it like miles. Yep. It, it truly is a thing where it's just, uh, the tiniest changes can make huge results if you get a chance to assist somebody who knows something about lighting and you have the 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 great uh, sort of gift of getting to actually get out there and move the stuff around in behalf of the photographer, pay very close attention to what is going on. Don't just tweak it move it <laughs> robotically. Watch what's going on and see what the photographer is seeing. If you're not, when you handhold a light for somebody, it's called Hollywooding it. Or you just quick, hold that, Hollywood that, hold that over (laughs) here, move to the left a little bit more, boom down, pan left, got it, shoot, shoot, shoot. If you're helping by moving stands, you know, dart back over behind the photographer and without interfering with the process, look over the shoulder and see what they're seeing. See the little subtle nuance that they are manipulating to make the shot go from yep it's exposed to wow it's uh now telling the story it is it, it, lighting is one of the cl- main players in the storytelling and once you accept that then you increase the grammar of photography for yourself
0: be an available light shooter right bruce anything that's available yeah. 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 Yep. yep. Hey, you guys, this has been an amazing episode of the Mega Pickles here talking about how Bruce got that shot aces high. If you want to see that behind the scenes, of course, hit the show notes. We'll put a link there. Um, it's Bruce Dorn, Aces High on YouTube. It's on Vimeo. It's on Canon's website. So take a look at that. We also want to hear from you. So if you guys have any images of ours that you would like us to talk about how we got that shot, please send us a message. Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on the Megapickles, and we would be more than happy to tell you how we got that. Bruce, parting thoughts. Well, parting
1: thoughts is my turn. I'm going to pick out something. I'm I, you're, you're known for your work outside. You're known for your work with people and and, uh, those, those hay burners. Uh, but <laughs> I, I like your tabletop work. I've seen some, uh, beautiful tabletop work and boy, there, there's a, uh, area that you can spend a lot of time learning about. And I'm, I'm very excited to hear you talk about, uh, your techniques for tabletop shooting for shooting okay. product.
0: Well, it sounds like a perfect intro for the next episode.
1: Sounds good. We'll go back and marinate for a little while. And, uh, Eventually pop back out on the uh, (laughs) poo-poo platter and uh, off we'll go.
0: All right, you guys, with that, we are the Mega Pickles. We will see you on the next episode.